Dennis Prager here. If you have a business or real estate dispute, I strongly recommend that you call Barack Lurie. Barack, you saved a client from a lawsuit with an unusual tactic. Tell us. Well, Dennis, my clients were investment advisor partners. Their former partner sued the others, claiming fraud for not getting a greater share. But we noticed something. You see, the plaintiff had filed for bankruptcy. So what did that mean? Well, the bankruptcy meant that the plaintiff no longer owned any of his claims. Only his bankruptcy estate did. So guess what? We went to the former bankruptcy trustee, told them about it, and offered to buy the plaintiff's claims against my clients for almost nothing. What would have been more than 100000 in legal fees ended up costing my clients almost nothing. We were done. You know that I trust Barack Lurie with my own business legalities. Call him for your own legal issues at 866-575-8111. That's 866-575-8111. Fighting for what's right. Barack Lurie at Lurie and Seltzer. 866-575-8111. And now listen to the Barack Lurie Show Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. here on AM870, The Answer. is the Brock Lurie Podcast. With me, as always, my good friend and producer, Ari David. Always a pleasure. We, uh, we, we've been speaking a lot about marginal thinking or arguing at the margin. And this is the concept uh, that uh, so much of the way liberals think, and not, not just liberals, by the way, a lot of us end, end up uh, engaged in this, where we only focus on the exception to the general rule, a good policy, let's say. And uh, <clears throat> based upon that exception, we decide to just get rid of the entire program. You know, what do I mean by that? For example, uh, free market capitalism. We love the idea of free market capitalism, but you can argue that at the margin, there are some people who are disproportionately affected, right? <clears throat> There's that poor guy who can't, can't seem to get a job because maybe he's bipolar, maybe he's paraplegic, maybe, who knows? He just can't do it. And um, if you were to leave him alone in the streets, well, he'll, he'll die. Do we want this in the free market capitalist society? <clears throat> and, and okay, fine. That's that's an argument, but you don't throw out the entire system because a couple of people might be affected. We argued also about this, uh, for example, when it came to uh, uh, rent control or, better yet, um, subsidizing uh, housing. Or Obamacare. Remember, 30 Obamacare million uninsured, but not the 300 million who are perfectly insured? That's exactly right. Uh, Obamacare is a, is a system designed entirely to, repla- to replace the entire medical system on the, on the theory that about 7 million are really affected and are truly unable to get their insurance. Okay. So we all have to suffer because of these other people. Um, and, and when you went to elementary school, there's always that kid, remember, who never seemed to get it. He was always keeping the class down. And so what happened was that the teacher would always teach the lowest common denominator. And never mind that the rest of the class was ready to move forward, uh, it was little Johnny was keeping everyone back either because he was clowning around or because he simply didn't have his wits about him in order to keep up with the rest of the class. So he dragged the class down. And nowadays, the, the schools are a little bit better about this. They, they realize and recognize that little Johnny belongs in maybe a different school. Uh, maybe he has special needs. And not to put down people with special needs, I'm simply saying that maybe he, he has a learning disorder, for example, that could be attended to better in a different school or different setting, maybe with a tutor or whatever. But in the old days, little Johnny would keep everyone back. And basically, they would change the entire system for Johnny. And the same thing is true with Obamacare, right? A few people, relatively speaking, can't get insurance, and we all have to suffer as a result. 
never mind all the other things that go with that, meaning the lies that you can't keep your doctor, you can't keep your policy, your premiums are going up, and uh, there is no accountability, and there's a lot more fraud. And it won't pay for abortions, we promise. Right, exactly. These are the things that, uh, you know, even if we're completely clean, the, the reality is that we shouldn't be forced into this, but we are. And so because people thought at the margins, we have this crazy system called Obamacare, which is, of course, a disaster. And we went through a litany of, of uh, other things, including abortion, the death penalty, gun control. You brought up gun control, such a great example. All of those arguments are arguments when they, when they fight um, uh, the, the death penalty, for example, it's always because there's the one chance that you might kill somebody uh, who was uh, wrongly convicted. Therefore, we need to scrap the entire system. That's, again, marginal thinking. Here's another one that, that I thought about just a little while ago, which is uh, voter ID laws, right? I mean, think about the That's a really right? good one. Oh, thank you. It's, you know, that the concept is pretty simple. They, they, the argument is, well, voter ID sounds nice, but you know what? Some people just don't have it with, you know, their wits about them enough to go get uh, an identification. Never mind that it's free. It's just too hard for them to go get it. They don't have the, the wherewithal to do it. They don't have an address or transportation or know how to sign their name. Right. But or... they do. They, they apparently have, do, do have transportation to go to the voting booth, you know, which is, you know, I never quite understood that. Um, they do have, and if they're going to do a voting in uh, by mail, well, they they have that ability. Presumably, you also have the ability to, to to go, you know, get your identification by mail too. I mean, it's it's such a far-fetched argument. And never mind, of course, they they can't even give us numbers about how many of these people who are who are affected by, or that are unable to get an identification, a free one. You understand? They don't give numbers. Is it one person? Certainly, you would agree with me that if only one person is affected by um, and cannot get an identification for whatever reason, and thus can't vote, and thus cannot vote, you would argue if that's only one person, we're not going to change the entire system out there because, uh, frankly, there is some uh, purpose in having identification to avoid voter fraud. Well, also, one vote in one district or one <coughs> state or one precinct does not affect election results. Right. You could say that. Very, uh, I'll bet well, you'd maybe be right. one election in the last 238 years has come down to one vote. That's right. So you would agree with me on that. And you would probably agree with me that if it's two people or 10 people or even 20 people in the entire country, you'd say, let's not change our entire system because there is some value to requiring people to present their identification. But no, 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 no. They, they, they will insist on this regardless uh, and and they and you you ask them how many people are actually being affected by this voter identification? How many? Don't tell me what what your supposition is. I need hard numbers, telling us exactly why. Uh, if, you, if, if if half the population of America cannot vote, and you can prove they cannot vote because getting a, an identification card is just too burdensome, then you might have an argument. But. Until that day, or even 30%, or even 20%, or even 10%. But when you start getting into the 1%, I don't know about that, my you, friend. You didn't finish the question, though. All right. The question needs to be phrased. How many people who are not currently voting multiple times illegally without an ID, oh, who are who are <laughs> voting entirely lawfully, right. are being prevented from voting just once? Good point. Just once. 
And, and because and, if you remove the illegal voters, right, I think that number even shrinks further. Right. They're very um, they're very hot to trot about this. Um, the, the fanciful number of all these people who supposedly cannot vote, right? Even though they don't have any numbers or any backup for it, uh, but but they are very hot to trot on the on the other side too, saying, "You, Ari David and Barack Lurie, you can't prove that people are committing fraud with a lack of identification, right?" So right. That they're all about, you know. So this, it's you, don't don't force us to show you numbers when we say that that it, that it burdens the poor. Uh, but we demand you to show your numbers that it does cause fraud. Okay, this, this is the double take that they have. Which we can't prove because ID isn't required. Right. You require ID, then we can tell you the number. Right. That's yeah. a good point. Uh, and but, then, but, but, but we also have common sense on our sides. I mean, come on. If, if, you, if you somebody who's hell-bent on voting 10 times, let's say, in one day, you can do it. It's not that hard. Especially if you know that no one's going to ask you for ID. So you go to... Uh, you go to the voting booth, at least at my voting booth, I can tell you, here's what they do. This is California we're talking about. You go in it when the polls open at, what, 7, 7 o'clock? So you go to the first precinct, and uh, you go over there, and you look at the list, and you say, ah, oh, there I am, because they have a bunch of names right there. Yeah, right in front of you. And All you have to do is read upside down. That's right. And it says John Smith. Yeah, I'm John Smith. Uh, what do I, give me my ballot. Here you go, John Smith. Thanks a lot. Do you need my ID? No, sir. We don't require that here because we're a free country. Oh, thanks very much. God bless you. And Johnny votes, and then he puts it away, and then he goes to the next precinct. He's there in 10 minutes. Well, you know. Right? I, and, and then he does exactly the same Unfortunately, it's even easier than that. Yeah. With a little bit of planning, you can actually go to someone's address and find their name in the mailbox and then go say that. But they, they don't even require that. There's something called provisional ballots. All you have to do is go to any precinct and say, um, I, I'm, uh, I registered to vote, but I didn't get my thing in the mail. My name is this. I live at this address. They will give you a provisional ballot that then goes in the box, and it counts unless it's challenged. Yeah. So you don't even need to screw around with trying to read backwards and upside down. Right. And, I, and I, say I'm, I'm slapping my forehead as I hear this. Yeah. So, so obviously the risk, the chances of that uh, fraud occurring is so astronomically high yes. compared to the risk that somebody obtaining a, an identification card is it will prevent them from being able to vote. Yes. It's so simple. Yes. And then there's one other just little thing I want to add. The liberals who constantly argue against voter ID regulations or restrictions are the same people who constantly tell us how stupid the electorate is <laughs> and how sad it is that those stupid Republicans always show up and ruin their elections. <laughs> well, this is what we're so, talking So the, the people they say are too stupid to get a, an identification, well, we can't stop them from voting. But then they always complain about the stupid voting. Yes, so that's a good point. Um, yeah, they, they, they always do perceive... Uh, correctly, I think that that the people who are the ones championing no identification are, are going to be voting Democrats. So, <laughs> I mean, but really, you can't have it both ways, my friend. You can't say, on the one hand, those who do have the identifications and are fairly responsible about voter ID, uh, they're the stupid ones. But you 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 apparently think there are millions of these people who are incapable of getting an identification card. Well, you know what? If they're incapable of getting an identification card. Perhaps maybe they ought not to vote. And perhaps maybe you should evaluate those public schools that you're not letting us shut down because those obviously didn't do a good job educating yeah. them. Well, they'll say we're being cold and callous. But the reality is if you can't get a free identification card or to have somebody take you to get a free identification card, 
you know, th th there's something, you, you know, how, how could you possibly actually have a good savvy about the politics of the day, right? You wouldn't, uh, for example, you wouldn't want a, um, somebody who's uh, mentally incapacitated uh, to, to vote, right? We, we prevent certain kinds of people from voting. Felons can't vote, for example. They're not, they're not even mentally incapacitated. They're just, they've lost their right to vote. Um, and, and, of course, people younger than 18 cannot vote. But also other people who, who are just not mentally there. But if, if they're not mentally there, then they shouldn't be voting. We all agree with that. It doesn't matter because the, the liberals should be able to say that about conservatives, that they think by definition are not mentally there, right? Uh, and we say that, you know, a lot of uh, liberals would, would also not, you know, should not be voting if they're not mentally there. But this is the way they argue. This is all arguing at the margin, and that's kind of what I, I want to get back at. I found this to be such an interesting topic, our discussion, that, that we started on this podcast before, <clears throat> and that it's so per pervasive in the way that we think. I had many callers call in, and, and some friends who have listened to our show have come up to me and said, look, this, is really, this has really shaped my thinking a little bit right now. And, and I say to them, well, I'm so glad about that. And it doesn't matter, right, whether you're conservative or liberal. We engage in marginal thinking in many different aspects of our lives. Well, we're, for, we're forced <clears throat> into it. Yeah. Through a, sort of a conglomeration of effects from the liberals con controlling our language and the words we can use and the understandings of what words mean to the subject matters we argue about or are forced into by their chess moves in, in argument. Yeah. Yeah. And then we wind up doing it, too. It, it, it's exactly right. Um, and at some point, we have to just be very aggressive. And if we're not aggressive, then we, we lose, we skip a beat here. where We lose out in the process, and it requires vigilance. I remember a very good um, uh, Star Trek episode from a long, long time ago. And um, it was about vigilance, about we cannot take our freedoms for granted. And it means you just have to think deeply all the time. You can't just assume anything anymore. Not even anymore. You shouldn't be able to, you should never have, uh, you know, uh, made any assumptions ever. It's, you know, each, each what does Ronald Reagan say? Um, liberty is only one generation from being lost. Uh, because we have to constantly reteach the notion of liberty. And he's right. And we have to then remember all the hard work that it takes to get mm -hmm. into liberty. And marginal thinking is a, is a form of laziness, right? You think about it. Because you can always say there's one person who's going to be affected by, by the breaking of this omelet. Obama's, the, Obama's speeches yeah. early in his career. I will not rest if one person doesn't have the job they want. If one child goes hungry. If one college student can't pay for their education. That's three people out of 300 million. One in 100 million and you're losing sleep over that? Well, he, we know that he's not losing sleep over that. He doesn't seem I to care I know he is resting right. quite well. well. He, he, would have, he would have said gladly that he, he won't rest until everyone is paying less in their way of their, their premiums and everyone is, uh, is able to keep their doctors. But but that's not happening. He, he seems to be resting just fine. Well, the point wasn't what he's doing. The point is, as the thought leader of the okay. speech maker of our country, he's setting up the country to start thinking that way. Oh, I see. Yeah, as yeah, marginal. It, yeah, it's mar it's, I see what you're saying. Yeah, you notice that the State of the Union address um, addresses, there's always that one person that the president will point out. This is true for Bush as well, let's be fair, uh, where... Uh, they'll say, you know, uh, Harry Smith, who was just recently uh, on the streets, 
Uh, now she has a bakery. Um, thanks to the food stamp program that is uh, that has put her back on her feet. Uh, Mary, why, why don't you stand up for us? And then there she is, and she's so appreciative, and everyone, and she, she embodies, now she embodies the benefits of the food stamp program, right? But truly, really, it's marginal thinking, because you can easily say, make sure that Mary gets what she needs, and make sure that she's happy, and they give her a lot of extra money on the side. You know what I'm talking about. And, uh, and, and suddenly she's, she's propped up just fine. Thank you very much. They don't tell you that, in fact, she's not only got the food stamps, but also maybe she got a little bit of money on the side, maybe from friends, also from other relatives, and maybe even from the government itself. But maybe the local Teamsters, the local <laughs> teachers union, the local electrical Whatever workers. Whatever it is. Right. You know, they, all they, her don't care. they don't care because she received food stamps and right. you know, she's, she, they want her to be the, uh, the, the, the emblem of, of how good food stamps have been to, to the world. The poster child of the program. So I want to talk about, um, about this and the laziness factor associated with it. Now I'm going to talk about a, a seemingly unrelated topic at this point, and that is uh, the Pope. The Pope, Pope Francis, uh, took over from uh, Pope Benedict, I believe it was? Yes. All right. Who I thought was a great Pope, uh, Pope Benedict. This new Pope, new, sorry, this new Pope is an interesting animal. Um, you know, I, I have such reverence for the Catholic Church. I think the Catholic Church has done such extraordinary, wonderful things for society at large. Uh, they created the university system, for example. People don't know that. Uh, they advanced science and medicine uh, like no other institution ever in history. It's an extraordinary institution. Um, the things that they have done is uh, something that the whole world should embrace. Now, you, you have a papal system where uh, a pope is chosen among the cardinals, that uh, basically his peers, and they decide, look, this is the man who needs to be the pope. And I, I love the system. It's very interesting to me. I, I can't say that I know it deeply. I can't say that I know Catholicism that deeply. I know from a historical basis, you know, what I learned in school and otherwise. Uh, but um, I, I'm, I'm really impressed. And what I always was impressed with in the past was how the Pope seemed to be above all the secular issues of the day. Uh, the Pope would focus on the right to life. Yes, that typically is a, an issue of the day. I understand that. But it was, it's such a religious and moral issue of the day that it would be hard for the Pope not to be involved in that. Um, and, and the Pope would talk about our own internal struggles. Very rarely would a Pope get involved in a secular issue, for example, deciding whether or not uh, even apartheid was right or wrong. Uh, because once you get into the thick of that, then you have to choose sides with every conflict in the world. And then all of a sudden you become a, a partisan. So the, the, the papacy, generally speaking, would, get, would not involve itself in such things. Um, now, sometimes it, it needed to get involved, uh, for example, against the Nazis, who were clearly doing just horrific things right and left. It was not a question of politics. It was a question of murder. <laughs> and murder is wrong, and certainly the pope would be against that. Um, now, uh, this pope, Pope Francis, seems to be, on the one hand, uh, wanting to do good things for the world, uh, including the Catholic Church, trying to clean up the Catholic Church, trying to create more order and structure. And on the other hand, he seems to be wanting to get involved in Issues like global warming, thinking that that's a, you know, a, a command issue that they must address right now, that it's a moral issue. Okay. 
Um, and then, then there's also the issue uh, that capitalism itself is not uh, necessarily a good institution. That socialism is, is important to look at. Uh, bad things have happened with capitalism, and so let's, let's embrace socialism. Um, he's, he's taken on other kind of uh, issues of the day. He's, he's, he's embraced homosexuality, um, homosexual uh, communities uh, much more than the previous popes. Um, saying that they have a much larger role in society than previous. I'm not saying, not saying that that should not be the case, but I'm just surprised that the Pope would say that. That's all. Um, and then contraception issues and other things that you just wouldn't think they, they would get involved in. Um, so I, I'm just waiting for the day that the Pope starts talking about the Arab-Israeli conflict. What's going to happen there? Uh, he's already spoken about how he wants to embrace the Muslims um, and, and speak. He speaks much more lovingly of them than I would imagine a pope to speak. Then we also have um, things that he's not addressing, and the the biggest 800-pound gorilla in the room is uh, ISIS, or what what is now called as Islamic State. How Islamic State is is engaging the wholesale slaughter of Christians, and. Uh, it is terrifying to see what they're doing. And the Pope doesn't seem to be coming out strongly against it. Instead, he seems to be strongly against global warming and against capitalism. I'm sure he's against what, what uh, Islamic State is doing. But, I mean, personally, but he needs to, I think he needs to be going out there and, and making that his number one theme. Why isn't he? Oh, now, Obama, sorry, Obama's uh, another picture altogether, but um, the, the Pope, you said offline, Ari, is really focusing on these secular issues, um, maybe because he, he wants to be liked. I don't know. I, I, I don't understand this. I, I want to like the Pope because I'm so fond of the Catholic Church. And I ask my Catholic friends, you know, what they think of this Pope. And uh, are they disappointed in him? or do they, do they like him a lot? Is he just talking to, to pay lip service to certain issues? And what I'm surprised about is that so many of my Catholic friends are just thumbs up about him. He's really great. You know, he's saying a lot of things, but don't worry. Uh, he, he really means, um, you know, he, he really is, he's, he's good. He's good. He's doing the right thing. And I'm wondering, does that, is that required of Catholics? Do, do they have to follow the Catholic uh, dogma? Uh, or for, for that matter, whatever the Pope says? I'd like to think that that's not the rule. I'd like to think that Catholics can can be disappointed in the in the Pope and say, I think he's wrong here, or that's what I'd like to think. I just don't know. Well, they're they're not supposed to criticize the Pope at all. To I, you know, I, I but I, I asked about that. The Pope, kind of like Jesus Christ, is considered infallible. You know, I've heard about the doctrine of infallibility, and I checked into it a little bit more, and I asked some of my friends, is this something that is seriously undertaken? Do you? Do you just decide that whatever the Pope says because he's the Pope, <clears throat> that there's nothing that, that you can say contrary to it in order to be a good Catholic? And, and most of them have said, no, no, we, we can disagree with the Pope. We can be disappointed with the Pope. We, we still have to respect him as our leader. Um, we can disagree with him on certain issues. But on, on, on religious issues, we have to follow the papacy rules. Understood. 
But I'm talking now more about the secular positions that he's taking. When, he's, when he says, for example, that we need to fight global warming, and all this time we've been laughing about global warming, what happens to the conservative Catholic? Is he suddenly now a global warming enthusiast? I, I'd like to think not. But what do I know? Yeah, and also, like with Jews, a lot of Catholics are liberal. Yeah. And so they have no problem with those stances he takes on those <clears throat> Liberal well, economics and environmental issues. Well, I think Charles Krauthammer brought up this point that, like, you know, he, the question was, why is this pope the way he is? Why is he taking these positions? Why is he fighting it so hard? And uh, Krauthammer said basically, look, he's a product of Latin America. Um, he understands Latin American politics. He speaks Latin American, so to speak, um, and and that's that's what he breathes. And for them, uh, there's a lot of socialism uh, that that runs deep in the, in, the, in the veins of a lot of people. It's not intuitive for a lot of uh, people in Latin America that capitalism is a great thing. So, I don't know. And then know. the environmentalism is also a big thing it, from the Latin American um, It goes hand in hand. Mentality, yeah, because they see a company like um, McDonald's as the... Um, uh, standard bearer of capitalism, and then they see the clear-cutting of their precious rainforests make right. cattle herding. Do you think... And they've been taught right. that causes global warming. Ari, right, do you think that, that this pope may be more interested than other popes, at least, uh, at being liked? Yes. Okay, because, you know, we just talked about how he, he's a product of Latin America, but maybe, you know, just talking about him as a, as a man, <clears throat> that maybe he's more interested in pleasing people and making sure that to revive the, 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 the Catholic brand. Well, I think he's part of the baby boomer generation, uh-huh. which I think is an extremely dysfunctional generation, most of all because of their desire to be liked, mm-hmm. their desire to get approval from others, yeah. their own self-criticizing mentality that they hate themselves when they have to say no to a child. That kind of right. thing. <laughs> well, here's, I mean, consistent with what you just said, and, and maybe that's what, how we'll leave it. The, the, the desire not to ruffle feathers when it comes to fighting Islamic extremism. There's not, to my mind, I, I haven't heard anything about that. Maybe, maybe he has said something about it, but certainly has not been in the news. Nothing forceful. Nothing, that's a good way of putting it. He's been forceful on capitalism, forceful on global warming, Forceful in opening the doors to gays, but uh, and other other secular issues of the day, but when it came comes to things that really need dramatic attention, not at all forceful, and I, I'm thinking that it's a it's a quest to be liked. It's not just himself personally, um, but also the Catholic Church, but but maybe himself personally also. I mean, certainly he he can be if he wants at this point to be he can be a historical pope. He can redefine Catholicism in the way he's talking about it, because he, he gets to set the rules. It's it's not quite yeah, a democracy. Popes have unbelievable have hegemonic power, power yeah. on what they say, and and I think you've just inadvertently squared an amazing circle here, yeah. which is this pope personifies the exact kind of marginal thinking you were talking about earlier. Most of all, because he's from a generation addicted to marginal thinking. Yeah. Well, that's why I brought it up. That's why I think they seem to be unrelated, these topics. But I, I see them like as you do. 
that it's a reflection of marginal thinking. And I'm not saying that in a an insulting way to the Pope. On the contrary, he I, I think he's you know he's thinking these things through in a significant way. No, they're thinking them through, but it's on the margins. But on the it's margin. on this narrow little strip, not the main piece of yeah. meat. It's a little strip of fat over here. Right. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, his attack on capitalism, for example, reflects marginal thinking. Because if he were to actually uh, study the issues, uh, he would discover, like we conservatives already know, that capitalism, free market capitalism, uh, has been the greatest boon for not only success for everyone, but also for the improvement and lifting out of poverty of, uh, you know, that, that history has ever known. Um, to say nothing of the improvements in medicine and innovation and culture and art and everything else and race relations and, and acceptance and tolerance of other people's travel, uh, the advancement of religion itself. These, these are the only, have only been brought about by capitalism. So yes, he's, he's engaging in marginal thinking when he does that. The global warming thing, you know, it's not necessarily marginal thinking, but he certainly has uh, imbibed the Kool-Aid. Because global warming, oddly enough, is not necessarily marginal thinking, uh, except to the extent that people just accept whatever these supposed experts are telling them. That's not necessarily marginal thinking. It's just lazy thinking, <laughs> right? Well, the expert says so, so therefore it must be right. That's, that's not marginal thinking. It's just lazy thinking. But I'm surprised the Pope would, uh, would embrace this as, as a cause because by, by pushing for it, he's saying that it is right and that it's going to be catastrophic and that we must fight this evil thing called global warming. It's going to be interesting times. Well, folks, I appreciate... Um, your thoughts on this as well. I, for those of you who are a Catholic, please weigh in. I, I hope I'm not insulting you at the same time. I'm I just I really trying to understand what, what Catholics think of this Pope. Is, am I, are we missing something? Is this Pope, in fact, um, uh, truly Catholic in, in, the, in, the, in the political sense? Uh, or is he um, simply just trying to be liked and trying to change the dynamic of what Catholicism is? In the meantime... I'm Brock Lurie. Thanks for listening. We'll talk with you real soon. Let's do it.